This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Visit Maine, a corner of the country that doesn't get enough recognition for its sheer wildness. Maine has Mount Katahdin, which is the end of the Appalachian Trail, as well as other mountains full of climbing routes and hiking trails. I actually went to school to learn audio production in Maine, and their mountain biking is pretty underrated. You can also rent a kayak or go whitewater rafting on the dead Kennebec and Penobscot rivers all summer. Or, to slow things down with family, sail back in time on an authentic Maine windjammer. You get to raise the sails, haul up the anchor, even steer the ship. Meanwhile, Portland, Maine is a culinary capital of the Northeast, and not just because of the whole fresh-cut lobster thing. It's a place that the most original, inventive chefs on the East Coast are setting up shop, because it's where they want to spend their time. So, on your next trip, be original, be inspired, discover your Maine thing at visitmaine.com. This episode of the Outside Podcast is also brought to you by Costa Sunglasses, made to help you make the most of your time on the water. Founded over 35 years ago by fishermen who wanted to stay out longer, Costa lenses and frames are engineered to keep up with people, no matter whether they're fishing, freediving, or just pleasure cruising. The polarized lenses cut through glare, blocking the sun as it bounces off the water, helping you see below the surface. Costa 580 lens technology enhances comfort and color, bringing out beauty and keeping your eyes comfortable. For anglers, for sailors, for those who need water to breathe, find the perfect frame for your pursuit at costasunglasses.com. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches, stories from our writers in the field. Have you ever seen a tiny dog chase a really big squirrel and thought to yourself, What's he going to do if he catches that thing? Or, same question, watched your big dog disappear into the woods after a deer or elk, and thought, ooh, it's going to be really bad if he gets it. Well, here at Outside, we come across a lot of stories where someone is chasing something, whether it's Sasquatch, buried treasure, or a giant squid. And there's always this unanswered question in there that basically comes down to, what are they going to do if they find it? Their life is not going to just go back to normal. Maybe ever. Now, in the case of treasure, you might think that's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem, and it can actually be a pretty big one. If you look at some of the recent shipwreck discoveries with treasure on board, people have gone to jail or caused international incidents because they didn't handle it properly. So, what should you do if you find buried treasure? Lucky for us, there's a podcast devoted to questions like these called Every Little Thing. Our former producer, Phoebe Flanagan, works there now. And today, I want to share two of their stories, because they're about treasure and the craziest duct tape repair of all time. You know, stuff you need to know to get through your day. The show is hosted by Flora Lichtman, who zeroes right in on the kind of useless information that actually comes in handy at dinner parties. And the whole show is just generally a lot of fun. Anyway, these two stories are some of my favorite little things in a while. So, enjoy. You've reached the Every Little Thing helpline. Please leave your message written on parchment paper in the bottom of an old trunk buried 36 paces north of Santa's oak tree. Hi, this is David calling from California. This is kind of a factual emergency. What do I do with all my pennies? In the past, I've like collected them all and then just buried them in the ground. And then that actually leads me to other questions I have about buried treasure. If I were to find treasure, would I have to pay taxes on it? How would I claim it? 
but I, if I brought it to the bank, you know, like, what would happen? They're going to be like, where did you get this? I'm like, it's treasure. This is all hypothetical, of course. I have no said found treasure. Thanks. Hey, David. Thanks for coming into the studio. Of course, yeah. You came to us with a treasure trove of questions. Uh, Let's start with your first one. What to do with your pennies? Did you bring them? I did bring my pennies. It's a large Ziploc bag. It is a large Ziploc bag. It's about 10 pounds. Um, But you you should feel it. It weighs heavier than you think 10 pounds at least in my mind. Oh, my God. I'm having trouble holding it with one hand. That's worth about, I think, nine bucks. David, there is a solution. Have you heard of a Coinstar? I have, but I'd say service fees are like my number one enemy at this point. 8% is robbery. Your life must be hard. It is. I, I will drive to a venue to buy tickets to avoid the service fee. I did this a couple weeks back, and they still had a service fee. And I was like, excuse me, what's this $4? They're like, that's the service fee. I was like, yeah, but I drove here. Like, there was, I did the service. Okay, so you will go to Great Lanes to save money. But it also seems like you'll go to Great Lanes to lose money. Like, you said in your message that you you buried your last penny collection. Why? So, like... I want to live in a world filled with mystery, right? I want to live in a world with treasure and maps and dirt and shovels. So I guess that's that's why I buried it. Why did I bury it? Because I wanted somebody to have to dig it up. It's Gandhi that said, be the change you wish to see in the world. I used my change to do that. Bury the change you don't wish to see. <laughs> that's perfect. But Dave, you also called with questions about real treasure. So what do you want to know? So I was imagining if I was the lucky person to find any treasure, imagine if it wasn't 20 pounds of pennies, but it's 20 pounds of gold. You know, then what? What do you do with it? How do you bring it to your bank? Are there people who are actual treasure hunters still to this day? What do their tax forms look like? You know, what do you do? What do their tax forms look like? (laughs) Way to take like the sexiest topic and bring in tax forms. Well, it is that time of year. Well... I think we found someone who can dig up some answers for you. Hi, David. How are you? His name is David, too. No, really? Mm-hmm. David McCarthy. Hi, David. To prevent confusion, we'll call him by his nickname. Friends of mine call me Coin Monkey. He makes a living curating monkey coin collections. What is a monkey coin collection? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am a numismatist, which is someone who studies, buys, and sells rare coins. Do people have a hard time pronouncing numismatist? Numismatist. 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 Exactly. David Coin Monkey works for a company called Kagan's in California. It's been around for almost 90 years. And their website says, Numismatics is not just a business to us, but a passion and a way of life. Wow. The first thing he wanted you to know is that A penny does not exist. What? (laughs) Didn't you want mystery in your life? I mean, I have 10 pounds of pennies with me right now. I'm pretty certain they do exist. No. There is no such thing as a penny made by the United States. They're actually cents. A cent. A cent. It does say one cent on there. Yes. Pennies are British. We just co-opted the word. 
And the OG pennies were not the most convenient coin. 12 made a shilling, 240 made a pound, which made for a lot of fun math at the wig shop. (laughs) I mean, imagine going into a store and buying something and needing to get your change back and having to divide by 8 and by 12 in order to figure out how much money they owed you back. I can barely follow the sentence, let alone do the math. Same here. So... Something we did here in the United States is we started using coinage where the math is based on 10. So the cent is one one-hundredth of the basic unit, which is the dollar. Well, it's good to know we don't have to divide things by 8 anymore. Yes, there's a reason to treasure the cent. Speaking of, let's get to the booty of this call. What happens when you find buried treasure? Right. So... Uh, David Coinmonkey can tell us about this, too. He's encountered lots of real-life treasure. Shipwreck treasure. What? Spanish treasure. Gold bars. Whoa. But there's only one buried treasure that changed his life. The, the best story from my perspective is, is Saddle Ridge. Saddle Ridge. The Saddle Ridge Hoard was the largest buried treasure ever found in North America. Whoa. David Coinmonkey got to hold the Saddle Ridge treasure in his paws. And I think his story answers a lot of your questions about buried treasure. Okay. Are you ready to dig in? I'm so ready. Okay, this story begins on a perfectly ordinary April day. David Coinmonkey is sitting at his desk when the phone rings. It's a lawyer. And he had, a, he had a question. He said, you know, I've got, I've got a client. They've found some coins, and I want to know what to do. And I said, well, what sort of coins? And he said, well, I can't really say that. And I said, well, where did they find them? Well, I can't really say that. The attorney said nothing else could happen until David signed a nondisclosure agreement. And I was really curious at this point, so I agreed to sign the NDA. And um, we made an appointment for a Monday morning. Got to the office early, brewed some coffee. Uh, The attorney arrived. Actually, two attorneys and one member of the family arrived. I invited them into the office. Basically, a big conference table surrounded by bookcases. David Quinmonkey wouldn't tell us anything about the family. Remember, I signed an NDA. Uh, I can tell you that the family member had this really curious box It was about the size of a cigar box, and it was obviously new, and it was obviously handmade by someone. And the family member placed the box on the table and slid it across to me, and I opened up the top, and then things got interesting. What's in the box? Inside the box... Should we take a break? Is this where we talk about mattresses? (laughs) (laughs) No, we really are taking a break. When we come back, what's in that box? Hey, folks, we're going to bring it right back to the show in a second. But first, I want to tell you about Bob's Red Mill, providing the ingredients for proper nutrition for athletes. Because your body evolved to eat real foods. And Bob's has unprocessed whole grains, whole wheat flours, and other superfoods that your body secretly wants. Grains like teff and frica and chia seeds that provide minerals and fiber that keep your system working like it used to, back before society put processed foods in front of you all day long. 
Sure, during a race, for the most part, you can slam all the sugar and carbs you want, or bacon if you prefer a fattier diet. But in between races, when you're training and recovering, give your body some variety with Bob's Red Mill. Okay, now right back to Flora. So David CoinMonkey is sitting at a conference table with a mystery box. He opens it up, and inside the box was a glimmer of gold. And you could see, you know, kind of sticking out from underneath that there were gold coins in there. And the gold coins were all sort of covered in dirt and rust and clearly had come out of the ground. You, you, could, you could see little bits of the coin through the dirt, and what I was looking at through the dirt... Uh, it looked perfect. It looked like it was brand new right off the dies. It, it, it looked the way we want the surface of a coin to look. Okay, when you had it in your hand, how did you respond? So the experience from my perspective was like time slowed down. And, and then I thought, okay, what do I do now? And the first thing I said was, well, you know, how many coins did you find? And they sort of whispered to one another. And the family member said, well, it was a little over 1,400. And time stopped. 1,400, mint condition, extremely rare, solid gold coins. Whoa. So David Monkey is looking at the treasure of his career, and he's dying to know, how did the family find these coins? That's the biggest question, I guess. David CoinMonkey signed an NDA, as he's reminded us many times. But basically, on one redacted day, the family was out walking their mystery breed dog in the undisclosed location of their backyard when they saw the tip of an old can sticking out of the ground. Pick the can up. It's really heavy. The top pops off. There's a gold coin sticking out of the top. They dig up seven more cans full of gold coins. David, do you want to see a picture of the coins? Yeah. And for everyone else, we will put it on our Instagram at ELT Show. Wow, it's actually, I'm amazed. The, the coins look like they're in better condition than I was imagining. I know, they're so shiny. They're so shiny. Can that, you imagine you like pry it open and you're like, what? You open, you're like, my eyes, <laughs> like it hits the sun. At the moment that they discovered this stuff, standing there, uh, one of them said to me, like a chill went down my spine and... All I could imagine was the person who buried this stuff looking over my shoulder with a gun. It was kind of a, a terrifying experience in, in, in one way. And then, you know, there was a lot of excitement. And then there was this, well, what do we do now? Because they realized that, you know, you can't just bring this stuff down to your local bank and throw it in a safe deposit box. A safe deposit box is not even safe. Just bringing it to a bank isn't safe. You know, you, they, they, they needed to come up with a plan. But while they came up with a plan, they had to figure out what to do with the coins and they couldn't just have them out in their house. So what do you do? Well, you know, they, they took a hint from the person who put them in the ground in the first place. So they took a cooler, put them in the cooler, moved their wood pile, dug up under the wood pile, put it in there, buried it, put the wood back on top and started trying to figure out what to do with the windfall. They buried their buried treasure. They buried their buried treasure. <laughs> and so who buried the, the coins? 
that's a mystery. Um, and, you know, it's a mystery that's unlikely to ever be solved. What's your theory? Um, you know, I mean, I think it was someone who was involved somehow with prospecting for gold. So after they reburied their buried treasure, they got a lawyer who got a lawyer who got an NDA. I guess I don't understand why they needed this whole setup in the first place. Did they have to do a non-disclosure agreement because there's some things that maybe the IRS would not be so happy to hear about? (laughs) (laughs) You think this is a tax scam? (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. No. They didn't want to go public because they didn't want to deal with people showing up on their property with shovels and shotguns. Yeah, that's smart. David said they didn't even tell their friends or family. That would be the worst part about it. What do you mean? I mean, you have you have uncovered the most valuable treasure ever found in North America, and the only people you can talk to about it are lawyers. <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> you know who it wasn't horrible for? David Coinmonkey. For him, it was more like a dream come true. Oh, it felt like winning the lottery. Which brings us back to his office on that Monday morning. The family and their lawyers were coming to David for expert help with conserving, appraising, and selling the coins. And I'm thinking, this could be the deal I think about for the rest of my life. I can't mess this up. <laughs> and, and so I basically took a deep breath and then explained to the family what I would do if it were me or what I would do if the material had been found by someone I really cared about. So do you want to know what 2018's numismatist of the year told the finders of the greatest buried treasure in American history? Absolutely, yeah. Step one, don't clean any of the gunk off. Generally speaking, people who've found coins that have that stuff on them go to town and clean them. And, and strip all that stuff off and in the process absolutely destroy the coins. And um, so I said, you know, the first thing you need to do is you need to get the material properly conserved. Step two, if you want to get top treasure dollar, make sure you come with a good story to tell. I explained to them, you know, the stuff that you have here has, has a value uh, to coin collectors, but the real value that we can take advantage of here is, is in telling the story of, of a buried treasure, because that's something that everyone, I don't care who it is, everyone at some point has thought about buried treasure. Why do you think that is? You know, I mean, I think it's one of the great stories, you know, whether it's Treasure Island or I guess the Holy Grail to some extent. There, there's a quest element uh, to finding buried treasure and, of course, it's like winning the lottery if God is the one handing out the lottery tickets. Right. So it's about good fortune and it's about mystery. Yeah. Those are my two favorite things. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the plan. Market the hell out of this treasure with a good story. As soon as they told the media, the story got picked up by major news outlets all across the world. A California couple struck gold whilst out walking their dog. 
they discovered a treasure trove of more than 1,400 coins next to a tree on their property in an undisclosed location a year ago. These rare coins date back to the mid to late 1800s. The couple are choosing to remain anonymous in part. Why so many secrets? The couple doesn't want to be bombarded with prospectors. A whole bunch of big magazines uh, begged for interviews. 60 Minutes wanted to fly them out to New York City and said that they, you know, will we'll blank out your faces and will disguise your voices. And there was just absolutely no interest on their part. Well, I mean, you know, if they change their mind, 833-RING-ELT. 833-RING-ELT. Yeah. Fingers crossed. The family auctioned some of the coins and put some on Amazon. They did not. <laughs> they put them on Amazon? They did. Most people are really um, used to using Amazon, and they'd never really sold any coins, and they kind of put together a completely new uh, space for us. You know, more than half of the coins sold in a couple of days. What was the total sale value? How much did they make? Um, somewhere between 8 and $10 million, I think, is the, the final value of everything. And what if they had cleaned those coins or if there had been no story? Do you think, can you approximate what the value would have been without? Yeah, probably $2.5 million. Wow. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge difference. So now they have this $10 million. How do they file that? <laughs> <laughs> I love your fascination with the tax element. It's yeah. so surprising. Right, because taxes are like the original service fee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we asked, you pay regular income tax. Okay. Okay, we're going to break off from that episode so that we have time for the craziest story about duct tape that I have ever heard. But first, we have to talk about Spearfish, South Dakota where you can find world-class rock climbing, dozens of hiking and mountain biking trails, roaring waterfalls, and excellent fishing. It's an outdoor paradise that's still under the radar. Their crown jewel is called Spearfish Canyon, where thousand-foot-tall limestone rock walls tower over a meandering route, perfect for a road ride on your bike. Afterwards, award-winning restaurants and breweries await. Spearfish is where you'll discover South Dakota's greatest adventures and its best cuisine. It's actually full of pleasant surprises. I mean, if you've ever driven across the country and thought to yourself, this is beautiful, not what I was expecting from South Dakota, that's Spearfish. Request your copy of the Spearfish Adventure Guide at visitspearfish.com. And now, back to Flora for another little thing about duct tape. You have reached the Every Little Thing helpline. Please leave your message after the tone. Hi, uh, my name's Ian, and I was just curious about duct tape, because there's facts, alleged facts that say duct tape can fix everything, maybe perhaps every little thing. So I was just curious about the extent of the things that duct tape can fix. Hello? Hey, Ian, it's Flora from Every Little Thing. Hey, how's it going? It's good. So, have you experimented with extreme duct tape fixes? Well, the most weird thing that I used it for was a potato cannon. I taped it together, and it 
withstood the explosion of the potato cannon, so I thought that was pretty impressive. Exercising your Second Amendment right to shoot potatoes. That's right. <laughs> Homemade cannons. How far did the potato go? About a football field. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, it was a it was a blast. So how would you characterize duct tape in the world of tape? Like if you were writing the screenplay, duct tape the movie. Okay. What's the plot? Well, I think it would probably have to have Bruce Willis where he gets shot and then has to wrap himself in duct tape and it stops the bleeding and he becomes the hero. Okay, Ian, what do you want to know? I guess I want to know what could it actually be used for? Like, how strong can duct tape actually be? Yes. If I really needed to, could I craft an airplane with duct tape? Do you think you could? In my imagination, I definitely can. <laughs> I'm excited to tell you about reality. I'm excited to hear reality. So we began by calling Dan Munson. Hello, Ian. Hello. Dan develops tapes for 3M, a leading duct tape maker. And Dan said the reason duct tape is the sporty spice of tapes, I'm paraphrasing, is that it's terrible, waterproof, and extra sticky compared to, say, masking or scotch tape. Because it has more glue per unit area, you can use it to, to do a number of odd jobs around the house. I mean, I think it's probably the most versatile tape there is. But how sticky is it? That's what we wanted to know. Like, could you use it to stick yourself to the ceiling? I mean, from experience, I can, I can tell you that you can stick someone to a wall at least. I'm going to need a little more info. So there is, this is kind of embarrassing, but there is one time, um, man, I must have been nine or ten, but I got duct taped to a wall. Were you off the ground? Oh, yeah. I, I stood on a chair while they put tape around me, and they pulled the chair away, and I was stuck there. How long were you stuck there? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it was probably 15, 20 minutes, maybe. <laughs> That's lo way longer than I thought. Especially for a nine-year-old. That's a long time. Did they leave you? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah they did. <laughs> so, Ian, you're not safe yet. Tape expert Dan said that duct tape is sticky enough to hold an adult you to the wall. Well, sure. It's just a matter of uh, square footage because we measure that force, its ability to bond per inch. And it's pretty healthy. It's 5, 10 pounds per inch. So naturally, it, all you have to do is increase the, the, the area that's under peel and you can hold anything. Okay. So we also wondered about the strength of duct tape. Like, if you were to hold an end in each hand, how much force would you have to apply to make it snap? Like, could you use duct tape as a climbing rope? Right, like a, a duct tape Rapunzel. Exactly. And Dan said duct tape is really strong. It would take 40 to 50 pounds of weight to snap a piece of duct tape that's one inch wide. So for the Rapunzel scenario... A 200-pound person would require about a five-inch wide roll. And I would err on the side of caution and go with a 12-inch wide roll, you know, just to be safe. Why I mean, not? Come on. Please do not try this, Ian. Okay, I won't. The last thing we wanted to know from Dan was whether duct tape is a four-season tape. Can it be used in the bitter cold? 
no, you, uh, you really begin to have trouble below 40 Fahrenheit. At that point, the glue doesn't hold as well. Right. For heat, it's, at, its range is more impressive. We asked if you could roast a hot dog on a duct tape skewer. Can I, can I guess the answer to that? Please do. Yes, I, I believe that you can. I like your faith in duct tape. The answer is... No, 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 no. There are two problems with that. One is in the heat, the, the duct tape will soften and it, it'll lose its strength. But here's the bigger problem. <laughs> the components of this product are flammable and they would begin to either to burn or to begin to off-gas, and the, the, the hot dog would not taste good. That is my culinary advice. But duct tape can withstand boiling water. Yeah, because there, the temperature 212 Fahrenheit, it could handle that, you know, not for a long period of time. 212 Fahrenheit is not that hot for those components. Wow, okay. I would not have guessed that at all. So what do you think, Ian? Is this changing your view of duct tape? Well, I would say duct tape is still pretty much just as useful as I thought. It sounds like we haven't knocked your socks off yet. Yeah, but I bet there could be something more that would blow my socks off. You bet right. I think we have exactly the story that will blow your socks off. It was like a razor blade cut them. Like six inches long razor blade cuts. When we told this story to Dan, his socks combusted. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, wow. And that's coming from an expert. So I'm all ears. I'm ready to hear this. Let me introduce you to Gary LaRose. I'm a uh, lifelong Alaskan. And uh, I'm playing with my dog right now. What kind of dog? <laughs> little black lab. He's only three months old. He is a crazy little sh- <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Gary owns a hunting lodge out on the Alaska Peninsula. It's that long arm right. that comes off of Alaska and stretches out towards Japan. Yeah, way up there. Remote, huge mountains, lots of big game. Brown bear, moose. And Gary's hunting lodge is where the duct tape saga unrolls. Story begins 2009. We were uh, hunting moose in September. We killed our last moose, I think, around the 18th, 19th. And Gary has moose meat hanging in his meat shed. Got a back window that opens up, and air can blow through it, and this cool air this time of year just really ages this meat, and he tenderizes it. I feel like that would just attract all the bears. Well, funny you should say that, because Gary said, I'm paraphrasing here, the meat shed brings all the bears to the yard. They have all that meat right there, and then they can smell it, they can see it, and it's, it's just, you know, it's just overwhelming to them. That's so. like me at a cheese plate. Is that right? <laughs> we all have our weaknesses. Gary's meat shed had a weakness, too. The electric fence that keeps bears away was out of service. And one night, a visitor showed up looking for takeout. And the, the meat is hanging on rafters right inside this back window. How, how much meat should I be imagining? Okay, well, a hindquarter of moose is going to weigh about 125 pounds. Ian, picture a cartoon character snatching a pie off a windowsill. Looks around, makes sure no one else is watching. 
reaches his big bear claws in. Takes out 125 pounds of moose meat and tears it apart. Jeez. I clean all the meat up out of the meat shed, put it in the freezer, and, you know, figure I'm good. But he's probably not good, is he? Hold on to your socks, Ian. A couple days later, Gary gets a human visitor, the son of an old friend. My name is Luke Miller, and I'm a pilot and a hunting and fishing guide. Hey, Luke. Luke flies a little ultralight plane in Alaska. It goes like 75 miles per hour, fabric exterior. Oh, like the, the classic one you see in the, the wilderness movies. Yeah, exactly. And on one September day, Luke's little plane hit a wall of wind. So he made an unscheduled stop at Gary's. It was blowing too hard to go where I was going to go. So I stopped at Gary's and he fed me a nice dinner. It was it was perfect. It was like everything was golden. Golden. That's how the visit started. So Luke tied down his plane for the night over by the, the meat shed. And then he goes to bed. Ian, how are your socks? Uh, they're okay. They're still on my feet. Early the next morning, it's still dark out. The sun isn't up. And uh, one of my guys came over and said, Gary, you better come look at this plane. Uh-oh. I got my headlamp on and I went out and uh, I started looking at Luke's airplane. And uh, I was like, man, I got to tell Luke this. I, I feel like my, my socks are starting to come off my body a little bit. Loose around the toes? They're wiggling off. So Gary wakes up Luke to tell him his airplane has a problem. And Luke says, uh, well, can I, can I fix it and, and get going? And I said, uh, <laughs> slowly. I said, no, I don't think you're going to fix it and get going. I just said, you need to go look at it. (laughs) The tires were slashed. It was like a razor blade cut them. Like six inches long razor blade cuts. The tail was messed up as if some large lumbering creature had sat on it. Oh, my gosh. The fuselage was shredded. Not only ripped the sheds, but but the fabric was literally ripped off the airplane. I mean, imagine the size of your car. You know, one minute you got a door and you have sheet metal on, and the next minute you have, you're looking at the frame of it. The bear had come back. Oh, no. The whole thing looked like the bear just got so neat. Yes, it, the fact that there was nothing there for him to eat. He'd been foiled, and and uh, this is this is my revenge. Well, I can't say I haven't felt that way about not having food when I want it. <laughs> this is like extreme hanger. Absolutely. I don't know if I'd slash up an airplane, but put me in the right place at the right time. I I might just I might just do it. I want to show you a picture so you can fully comprehend the devastation okay we'll put it on our instagram too. search for elt show oh my god that is crazy it looks like it just got hit with a train right through the middle poor luke uh, i'm sorry luke this is the last thing 
that any pilot ever wants to hear that his airplane's damaged to the point where you can't even fly it. On top of that, this is the plane Luke learned to fly in when he was 14 years old. He had bought it off his dad, and it was his livelihood. It wasn't a fun experience at all. Well, he had to fix it somehow. He had a plan going within a couple of hours. He was on the phone and ordered a bunch of stuff, duct tape being right up there on top of the list. Luke's plan required 18 rolls of duct tape. I, I have to know how he did this. I think we should just send you the after picture. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, so he just wrapped the whole plane up. That is insane. And he flew. He flew like that. He did. He went through all the hoops and got a permit to fly it back to Anchorage, where he'd be able to get it fixed. And then he made the five-and-a-half-hour journey in a duct-taped burrito. I stopped along the way and made sure everything was holding together, and it was fine. I think I stopped in um, Pilot Point first, and there's a bunch of tourists out there taking pictures of me. Just kind of, it was like, I was shamed, I guess. Gary, have you ever seen duct tape do anything like that before? Uh, not not to that extent at all. Not even close. That's 50 years of flying up here in Alaska. So New respect for duct tape. Yeah, it worked. It functioned well. And as, as the reason why you're reporting this is because it worked. It, it ended well. You know. What about for the bear? How did it end for the bear? Uh, you know... Uh, he got away with his obnoxiousness. What do you think, Ian? Um, do you have another pair of socks? <laughs> I guess the real question I have is, did he eventually fix it or did he just leave it as a hallmark of his success? No, he he brought it back to Anchorage. He gave it an extreme makeover. And in fact... Um, when we caught up with Luke, he had just landed that very same plane uh, moments before we talked to him. That is incredible. And the plane was kind of ready for a rebuild. So the bear made the decision that I needed to rebuild it. <laughs> it all was meant to be, I guess, in some certain way. I feel like he could be a combination between Bruce Willis and MacGyver. Luke could. Yeah, but I think I would lean more toward MacGyver. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, duct tape is kind of the bread and butter of MacGyvering. Absolutely. Every Little Thing is produced by Aaron Reese, Phoebe Flanagan, Annette Heist, and Flora Lichtman. Help from Nicole Pasuka and Doug Barron. Consulting editors are Caitlin Kenny and Jorge Just. It was mixed by Dara Hirsch, scored by Dara Hirsch, Bobby Lord, and Haley Shaw. This episode was brought to you by Visit Maine, Costa Sunglasses, Bob's Red Mill, and Spearfish, South Dakota. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Magazine and PRX. We'll be back in two weeks with an absolutely crazy science of survival.